Welcome to the Fit and Free with AIM podcast. I'm your host, Amy Louise. By listening to this podcast, you'll gain clarity and apply now principles in relation to training, nutrition, and mindset, all designed to help you build a strong and lean physique and show up as your best self at the same time. If you're a woman who struggles with excessive behaviors when it comes to training and nutrition and think of yourself as a perfectionist, I hear you, I see you, I was you. And I know that you're in exactly the right place to turn that ship around and build a body you love inside and out. So let's go. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the podcast and a special welcome to another guest that we have on this week who is Sophie May. So welcome Sophie. Thank you so much for having me Amy. Uh, We have just been chatting um, off camera a little bit about the lockdown situations because Sophie's just come in from the UK after a bit of time spent there so we've been talking about that. But so if I just wanted to start off by asking you a little bit, just in case um, our listeners aren't totally aware of just background, like how did you get into the personal training space and then, you know, into the online space as well? Yeah, awesome. So, um, hey guys, obviously Amy just introduced me, but I'm Sophie. Um, I basically, my personal training journey is quite an interesting one. So, when I was, uh, I was really young. I think I was maybe 14. I, I won't mention the guide, but I started a fitness program online. And during this time, I think Instagram was just coming in. So, you know, Instagram was fairly new and it was popular. Um, and there was a lot of those uh, people probably remember if you were on fitness, uh, in the fitness space on Instagram in that stage, but there was a lot of like, six-week tone your ab guides and stuff like this and we don't really see many of them nowadays compared to what we used to um so I was I was always struggling with my body image when I was a teenager and I was always kind of like the overweight friend so I basically was like okay I'm gonna start this fitness regime my mom was kind of like oh I wasn't obese or anything I was just I was definitely overweight I was chubby but I wasn't huge um, and my mom was like, oh, you know, um, be careful. Like, don't, you don't need to lose loads of weight and stuff like that. Trying to kind of just be like, you know, I was like, no, I'm just going to do it to become healthier, blah, blah, blah. So I started this fitness program and I went from zero to hundred very, very quickly. I kind of dropped 15 kilos in a very short amount of time. Um, started calorie counting, restricting foods, you know, all of that kind of stuff went from kind of not training as in like I was training from home I didn't go to a gym I was just doing home workouts but I went from not really training to you know completely like smashing myself and I remember the first workout I did I was you know I think there was like 10 burpees on there and I was like dying after three burpees and I just remember that so clearly I was just like oh wow these are so hard and it's like after three I had to have a break so I was I was probably a little bit unfit but I you know not really trained like that before um anyway yeah lost loads of weight actually ended up losing my period developed massive issues with eating and exercise um relationships so I used to have been the mindset that a lot of people have probably experienced themselves especially women I'd say 
with, you know, feeling like they have to burn off food, um, kind of being OCD with your training and, you know, you're working out and I'd get really antsy if I had to miss something or if I had to, if someone sprung a meal out on me, like I think I remember clearly my mum getting home from school, my mum be like, oh, I'm going to go out for dinner tonight. Like, you know, thinking as kids, we'd be really excited. And I was like, really, and I was like, what? I was like, you know, I was annoyed because I didn't, I'd had everything planned out, you know, literally strict, like, day-to-day, meal-to-meal. And um, I think at the time I was following a meal plan. They're not something I really like now for clients, but um, I was doing it at the time. And I was that was kind of my relationship with food. I didn't want other people cooking my food. I didn't eat any bad foods. I say that in, you know, quotation marks. Um, was very just strict with everything. My mom was constantly telling me to, you know, that I'm getting skinny and she obviously didn't, she was obviously worried and she didn't word things right. So we did fall out, not fall out, but we did argue quite a lot because she'd always be like, you know, you're getting too skinny, you need to eat more, blah, blah, blah. But she was just worried. So when people told me I was skinny, it fueled the fire because in my head I wasn't skinny. I was constantly waiting for the, wanting the scale to drop week to week. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I was like, oh, if someone's telling me I'm too skinny, that's a compliment to me because people think I'm skinny. So by people telling me, you know, that I was actually too skinny. It was actually in my head, that was a good thing. So it didn't help the situation. Um, and then as I was growing up with my own age and then Instagram at that time, Instagram was pretty toxic for fitness and diet culture. I think with girls weren't really lifting weights and becoming strong. They were kind of getting shredded, having abs, which we know for a lot of women is very difficult to achieve um, hip bones, ribs, you know, very, very skinny. And that was kind of the image at the time. Clean eating, you know, the, the classic sayings, um, what is it like? Nothing tastes as good as skinny feels and all that bullshit. <laughs> I remember posting that and I was oh God. Um, yeah, that's the toxic kind of fitness thing that was in, in fashion then. As I got older, if it fits your macros, started becoming a trend and weight training. So I was kind of like, oh, okay, like, you know, I can eat whatever I want as long as it's in my calories. I was very confused at this, this new, you know, discovery. Um, and I started macro tracking and someone had said, I need to recover. I need to, to build muscle. I need to have rest days. So I started having rest days I did before. Things like this, like I was just changing and evolving with the current times. Women were starting to grow booties and weight lift and all this stuff. So the, the narrative was changing and I kind of was changing with that as well. Um, I would say that my eating and stuff was still a little bit rocky for a few years, even with that. I did definitely gain some weight back and started actually training for strength and stuff. So it did improve. And then I think over time with the change in narrative of the fitness industry as well, um, there's still a lot to be done, but I think it's in a better place than it was before because there's more women coming out and saying, you know, it's cool to be strong and lift weights and stuff. Whereas when I was young, that wasn't really a thing. Um, and then I became a PT when I was, I think I was really young again. I think I was 17 or 18 because I wanted to help other women reach their goals. Cause I wasn't comfortable with my, myself before all of this happened. So my idea was that I want to help women reach their goals without having to go through all the shit that I did and buy into all that shit. 
Um, so yeah, I became a PT. And then as you kind of evolve as a personal trainer working in the gym, you tend to find more of a specific, um, I guess, passion that you enjoy more. And for me at the moment, that's where I'm sort of leading in, or that's where it's led me to now, uh, working with women's health, gut health, more of the functional medicine type thing and kind of mixing that in with personal training, I guess, um, or online coaching, I should say. So yeah, that's kind of my long-winded story. <laughs> so it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I found myself nodding my head throughout the whole thing, you know, not exactly the same story, but man, I, I was mimicking you when you said nothing tastes as good as skinny feels I remember that as well I came through the um gosh I hope this isn't going to true anyone but I came through the the thin spo do you remember thin spo before fit spo yeah Yeah, that's what you're talking about um it was kind of like the that Nicole Richie era of just trying to be as small as you possibly can. It's so interesting too, like just to have seen how much of an impact, you know, something like Instagram has on our own journeys. And it's really interesting because when I think back to like where I was as well, I was on, um, I don't know if you ever did this, but I was on, um, before I was on Instagram, I was looking at like body, bodybuilding.com, the forums there. And Mm -hmm. just, you know, so I sort of started looking at, um, stage competitors and you know what they were eating and it was like they'd list out their diets right so it would be you know oats and egg whites chicken and broccoli um chicken oh, and rice and then you know fish or a protein shake for for dinner and you know you'd see their physique and at that point in time I had no idea that getting you know totally shredded and maintaining that number one not that it was only detrimental to my health but it was really hard like I didn't know those things exactly um, and that's the that's the effect that that those influences have on especially young women. Like that's what I think one of the worst things about Instagram is. Um, and there's another point you made there as well. So first of all, the one I want to touch on was um, Instagram being can be such a negative place for young people. I think, and I try and avoid. I don't follow any influencers, celebrities, fitness people, nothing. And I encourage my clients to unfollow them all as well because. Otherwise, you're scrolling through being like, oh, wish I could look like that person. It just makes you feel like shit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then there was, yeah, when you said about all the fish and rice and stuff, it's like I genuinely used to think that I had to eat like that. And it's like, no, I'm not allowed this. I'm not allowed that. No, I can't go out for dinner. Um, And then there's the other end and it's like if it fits your macros. And that also led me to unhealthy eating as well because then I was kind of like, wasn't when I I got to a stage where I was completely disregarding what I was eating because it fit my macros. So it's, it's both ends of the scale, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I think it was just before I got into a bikini prep, so I couldn't really partake in it, but I remember this point in time with I am again, it was on Instagram (laughs) Um, and just watching women who, you know, relatively small women, um, you know save all their macros for what they were calling and I think they still do this I just don't follow those people anymore macro bolts right so it would be like ice cream and chocolates and but it was like what you say absolutely totally disregarding the rest of their nutrition for the rest of the day or I don't know maybe they weren't but this is what they were showing and it was it was almost glorified or glamorized if you're in the fitness space you can be totally shredded you can you know do all these things and then you have your macro bowls at night and I remember feeling like 
why can't I eat that much food? Like, why can't I engage in this, you know, behavior? And it was just a real, a real spiral. And now I can see like, Farah, I'm glad I don't feel the need to engage in behavior like that. Because to me now it's a red flag. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think as well, like people will be surprised at this, but there is a lot of hidden disordered eating on Instagram. Like, I think we have to remember that just because someone looks shredded and they're eating a lot, they're they're probably not going to, one, they may not know because when I was in that stage, I didn't know that I was, you know, had disordered eating habits. But that's kind of, um, people kind of disregard that. And then two, I was posting photos of my abs every day, but no one didn't know that I didn't have a period for two years. So that's the other thing. Like we, we, can't like this is why I don't engage with with people like that on Instagram I try and follow real coaches like you like yourself I'm sort of friends with and I can talk with and stuff like that not kind of you know people that just bring you down because it's not about being jealous it's more about you know we can't really judge someone that's completely shredded on being healthy because we don't really know yeah I think that was a big realisation too when I was younger and uh, not as well informed. It was thinking that, you know, the the fitness model, uh, the cover of the fitness model, like whatever, whoever she was with her six pack, that that automatically meant she was healthy. I had no idea that those two things um, were mutually exclusive. Yeah, 100%. I was the same. Like I used to associate any women that that had abs and was like super toned and lean and stuff like that I used to associate that with being healthy as well but for me having abs meant I didn't have a period and and I'd love to know how many others are probably the same that we maybe don't don't know about you know what I mean yeah absolutely and and the other thing I um geez I read this ages and ages ago is a thought concept that you know being on Instagram being exposed just so many different kinds of people it's like you know before we had that you kind of knew who you went to school with who you went to uni with who you went to work with circle of friends you kind of knew them um most of those people weren't genetically gifted athletes like we're all pretty average most of us so you just wouldn't have been seeing these physiques um and it looks like because of you know we can select who we follow it looks like every woman is able to achieve this physique when in actual fact it, i don't know what the stats are it could be one percent of the population oh my god that's such a great thing to say because i used to i can't remember who i used to say this to but i used to say the same thing i used to say like who we follow on Instagram makes it seem, if you're following all influencers and celebrities that, I don't know, have surgery, I think one thing that I I think is massive now and is so normalised is cosmetic surgery on the body. And it's sad that it's normalised. People can do what they want, but the fact that we, it's so subtle and people aren't honest about it creates massive body dysmorphia problems again. Um, And also the fact that we're following all these people on Instagram, you could maybe follow a thousand people and you've got all those people that might be shredded on your Instagram. Or in, in the gym, when you're in the gym, you might see a lot of people that look great. But if you step outside and you go to the shops or you go to, I don't know, wherever, you probably you're probably going to be the the anomaly yeah Yeah, it's nuts to think about that isn't it (laughs) exactly but because we're we're so like drowned in those people we think that that's the norm when in reality like if you're going to the gym and you're lifting weights and doing this this and it's like you're probably the anomaly because most people you know even though the gym looks busy and stuff like that 
most people around you in the kind of normal world probably aren't doing that either, you know? Yeah. And it's nuts to see, because I don't know if you see this as well, but, you know, all the women who come to me, amazing humans, highly intelligent, they have a lot of stuff happening, they all look fantastic. Um, and, you know, if there are some uh, who are addressing health behaviours, you know, we're doing that one step at a time. But there is, for a lot of them, when they first come to me, there is a lot of frustration with their physique, where, you know, an outsider is like, Fuck, they look they look amazing. They're so strong. They have all these amazing attributes. And it's just, unfortunately, a perception that I don't look like X influencer. So therefore something is wrong and I'm not good enough as I am. And it is pretty heart wrenching because it's like, I think the key with body image is not really the losing of the five kilos or getting a bigger booty. It's the internal work. Exactly. A hundred percent. I get the same. And it's like, this is why I've kind of said to my clients and myself ages ago, I was like, I'm following these people is the best thing you can do. And I, maybe I follow some influencers that are big names, but they're usually general people that sort of aren't posy posy. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just more for like, you know, your own benefit. Um, and one thing I've noticed now is like, I've seen a few cosmetic surgery pages on Instagram and it, it, my like it, to me it's just insane how much people can change their bodies with surgery but it look so obviously we know we, we can probably point out on some people but how subtle others are and we probably wouldn't know and people aren't really going to stand there going oh yeah look at my new surgery body are they so I think that's really damaging and I think people are kind of looking at that nowadays as well as photoshop I kind of think that's like the new big thing because you know a few years ago it wasn't really that popular like look how popular lip fillers are now not that there's anything wrong with them but it's the new thing right five years ago I didn't know anyone with them how many people are subtly have enhancements that we don't know about that we think oh wow they're naturally how do they look like that when they probably don't and that's I think that's a massive problem at the moment because when I was younger if I had seen that I would have been like I would have had no idea I would have been like, oh, my God, why can't I look like that, you know? Yeah, I, I did a podcast a, a couple of weeks back and we were talking about even – you know, just managing expectations with clients who might be even looking up to, you know, like bikini competitors and just, you know, again, like you say, like nothing wrong with taking, you know, whatever you want to take, but uh, so many people don't know. And it's like, you know, average Joe, you know, mum of three working, you know, 40, 50 hours a week is commenting body goals on a competitor's page who is spending how many hours in the gym every day, plus taking substances that is not spoken about. And it's like far out when we're looking at managing expectations of what's possible, there are so many things going on behind closed doors. Exactly. And that's a great one. Like I, I think people would be shocked. I think talking about, you know, uh, assistance and steroids and stuff in the male bodybuilding world is pretty normal. Everyone's like, oh yeah, he's on steroids. But people are very shocked when they probably don't know that there's a lot of women that are taking the same thing. And I think people would be surprised at this and, it's it, it's common I would say it's pretty common especially in in that side of things which again is fine but a little bit of transparency wouldn't wouldn't hurt because like you said you've got someone with a completely opposite lifestyle mum of three working doesn't live and breathe the gym doesn't have time to cook all the meals fresh from home every day as well as cook for three kids and stuff like that and we're 
we're just our goals are so unrealistic because we are we are nothing like them. It's like celebrities as well. We don't all have personal chefs cooking us meals every day. Sometimes we may not be bothered to cook dinner. We may need something quick and easy. And that's the reality. Whereas I think we that's why I sort of encourage like my clients and my own, like myself really, just to, if I did have a goal, follow people that I can relate to rather than people that are way above that I'm nothing like. Yeah, gosh, I think it's so important. And 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 it's like, you know, if you ever have clients who are like, I want to look like this, and it's like, well, you know what, we can look like you and, yeah. you know, as as much as your genetics will allow and what you're prepared to sacrifice and do. Exactly. But we're going to work towards <laughs> A hundred percent. Like you can only use yourself. Like we all have completely different bodies and we're never going to look like anyone else. So you might as well just focus on, you know, your own body and how you look and, and how you feel. I think that's the best thing you can do. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to um, dive into your workshops that you started running. So actually I would love to hear sort of, you know, where the idea came from for you to start running them. I'm really personally curious too. Um, approach, you know, I love seeing women take off in the space. It's super exciting, especially women's health. Um, so if you could just give a rundown on that and then I'll ask you questions about, um, you know, the modules that you run within that. Yeah, for sure. So I run uh, women's health workshops. I started this actually in January this year. I, well, I started preparing them. So I was in lockdown in the UK. I was really starting to see coaches coming to me for questions and help around their own clients. And I, most of the time, I can't get back to all of my DMs, especially when there's specific questions. And I, you know, you, you would know, like you've got your own clients to respond to and stuff like that. And I was just finding that a lot of, I was getting more and more questions as the weeks went on. So I was like, okay, people need more education in this area. And I was posting quite a lot about it as well. And, you know, every time I'd get coaches kind of sharing and be like, oh my God, wow, I didn't know this, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I was like, okay, I want to launch like a women's health course or something because there's such a lack of knowledge for females themselves but imagine we females have periods. Imagine what the male coaches feel like. They don't even have the first time experience. So even if the females don't really know what's going on, they know what the period feels like and stuff like that. So it's kind of like, okay, everyone could do with knowing more about this because if you coach females, it, you know, we should really be knowing about the differences between male and females and, and how females function month to month because it plays a huge part in training and nutrition and obviously body composition, mood, all of these things as well. So I was like, okay, I could do a course. How would I run it? How long would I do it for? People tend to kind of get a little bit bored if it's something that's, you know, eight weeks long or, you know, when you're doing like an, I've done courses before that were like an hour a week. And it's like, I could have really squashed that into a week long instead of eight weeks. So I was kind of like, mm, okay, trying to think what I prefer. I was like, I'm going to do a big workshop that runs for half a day people can attend and join and then they can um, pretty much, you know, get all this info, take notes, get an ebook, and they've only spent half the day learning about it and they can reflect on their notes and go back to it instead of prolonging something that could be talked about in a week for eight weeks. And it, with coaches being busy and stuff, it just makes more sense. So I started doing these in April this year. So I prepped it all, um, made it all, 
pretty much through lockdown in the UK. So it was awesome because it gave me something to focus on, especially during winter UK lockdown, which was not fun at all. Um, and it kept me like, it, it, I love talking about women's health. So it really kept me going. Um, but it also meant that other coaches could join. And I did, I think five, I think I've done maybe five this year. Um, and it's mostly coaches. I've had a couple that aren't coaches, that are women who just want to learn more about their own health and stuff, which is awesome. Um, but the main idea behind it was to help coaches understand their clients more. So that's kind of the main reason behind it. And um, yeah, it's, I really love them. Yeah. Have you, have you got much of an uptake from, from men or is it mostly female coaches or? It's been mostly females, which is funny because I, I was like, guys, where are you all at? Like, you guys need to know this. <laughs> um, but I've definitely had a few guys join and it's it's great to have, have males on because, like, I think understanding from a woman's point of view and, and knowing the physiology behind it can be so powerful in, one, educating your own clients because chances are they've got no idea what's going on. Um, which is most women. So that's not, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just, you know, I didn't a couple of years ago, um, educating their own clients on what's going on, but also helping their understanding to be able to one, communicate and two, work with females during the months, because your cycle does have different effects on the body. And I think understanding and knowing what they are can be really powerful in teaching clients and helping them go through their journey as well. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and how have you found or how have, how have the coaches who have done the course found that more condensed style of learning? Has the feedback been really good about that? Yeah, so um, I did ask them. I got them all to fill out anonymous surveys so that I could genuinely, because people, if they're not anonymous, they won't be honest. I wanted them to be honest. Um, and I think I only had one person that said it was quite long. The rest of them were like, cause we have breaks in between it. So it does go for about four hours, but we do have breaks throughout and it goes really quick. It only really feels like a couple of hours, but most like pretty much all of them have said they really enjoyed it. They got a lot from it. Um, it was a pretty big day, but it was useful. Um, and a lot of people said that they really liked how, you know, it was, a half day workshop rather than spread out over eight weeks because an eight week course you'd think would cost quite a bit. So that was the other thing. I wanted it to be affordable um, and I wanted it to be kind of, you know, easy to access for, for coaches as well. Yeah, I love that. I, I reckon it's a great idea too. I um, I hear you with the sort of extending things out a little bit too much and perhaps losing a bit of interest. And I think sometimes when they are condensed, you're hearing, yes, a lot of information, but it really sticks and you can you can remember this whole day and then those really important points. So, yeah, I love what you've done with that. Thank you so much. And, and like, like they can go over their notes again as well. So I always say to them, I'm like, I know there's going to be a lot of information in this, um, but going over your notes is, is, you know, you can refer back to them whenever you need to and that's probably going to be the best way. Otherwise, you know, if you do an eight-week course, it's like people miss lectures, people you know, like you said, lose interest and stuff like that. And it, and it is a bit more expensive to do it that way as well. Um, so it's been working great so far. Yeah, 
That's awesome. Um, so I've got a couple of questions about some of the topics that you cover within your workshops. These are going to be real broad, so if, so if you just want to focus on, you know, something specific, that's totally fine. Um, when we when we look at the menstrual cycle, just say a yeah, just say menstrual cycle. What do women most seem to be either misinformed about, or just they just don't realize? Yeah, great question. So um, I think the Biggest misconception with periods is you're meant to suffer with your period. So I think that's one of the main issues is that women don't understand that you're not meant to be bed bound for a few days. Like you're not meant to have to, I've met women that vomit from their periods. I've met women that have to take a box of painkillers during the periods and they don't realize that that's not normal. They kind of just go, oh, it's just my periods are bad. You know, that's just normal for me. It's not normal for anyone. Um, And I think that's one of the main things because when we're younger, we're brought up when we get taught about our periods, we pretty much get told, you're going to bleed for about five, seven days. You're probably going to get period pain. You'll get cravings. You'll be moody. You'll be this, you'll be that. And it's like, no one ever tells you, oh, if you've got really bad period pain, that's not normal. It's the other way around. It's like, oh, don't worry. It's normal to get symptoms with your period. It's just a downside of being a girl. And that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions. So I often post about what a normal period would look like. And just to give a quick rundown for listeners, it's minimal pain, shouldn't affect your day-to-day life too much. It's normal to be a little bit fatigued, you know, oh, I'll skip the gym today, I'll go for a walk instead. But having to like, you know, lie on the couch for three days isn't, that's the fine line. Um, you know, having five to seven days long of a period, nothing really longer or shorter. Um, sorry, I should say four to seven days. Um, and things like that. And people go, oh, they're like, wow, I, I should probably get mine checked out. And I'm like, it's crazy that so many people don't know this when they're like 30. And that's not their fault. That's because we're never taught when we're actually younger to, to know what normal is. I'm super curious, just say, you know, clients, new clients come to you and, you know, during the process of consult or whatever, you're talking about this sort of stuff. Have you found, because I, I have my own opinion on this, have you found, I guess, if they've seen a GP and spoken to the GP about these issues, have you found that maybe they felt adequately supported or that they're getting good info from the GP? What's the, have you noticed anything? Yeah, this is a, I, I need to be careful what I say here, but um Let's just I'm say like, I've asked you this on purpose. <laughs> I know, yeah. So I don't mind saying this because people need to know that the, the GP is probably not going to be the solution to their problems. And it's not talking bad about GPs. We obviously need GPs, don't have anything against them. But um people need to understand they go, oh, I'll go and get my bloods done by the doctor. Let me tell you why this is useless. Most of the blood ranges that you get are so broad that they probably won't give you much info. We use on the functional medicine side, more specific ranges that are optimal for health, not just normal for the population, because we have to realize that the population is pretty unhealthy as a whole, and you're basically being compared to them. And if your bloods are the same as theirs, you basically get, yeah, they're all fine. And you probably feel like shit. So I've had loads of people go to the doctors and they're like, oh, I feel like this, this and this. Oh, don't worry, blood's normal. So that's my first problem is that, the ranges are way too big. And if you did go and get bloods done, they're probably not going to come back with too much. You're, it's almost like 
it's not preventative. It's almost like disease management. So nothing comes up until it's way out of whack. And then we like, oh, we need medication to solve it. So that's my first thing. And then my second thing um, with, with the healthcare is most menstrual problems just get, uh, what's the word, band-aided with the pill. And it's like, if you go to the doctor with, and I've had my own experience with this, if you go to the doctor with any menstrual problem under the sun, whether it's period pain, oh, I get heavy periods, oh, I get irregular cycles, acne, period, like endometriosis, PCOS, the, the only solution they have for you is the pill. And that's what I don't like because it's kind of like, well, your, your period doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we suppress your period. When you want kids, come back in 20 years and then we'll, you know, deal with the issue. And that's what I find is really offensive. It's kind of like, you know, your period doesn't matter. I'll just come back when you want kids. So if, when, when, we, when we do go with period problems, I think it's best finding more of like a health professional that you can trust who is more, when it comes to men, I'm talking purely for like hormonal issues and stuff like that. Obviously, I'm not saying don't go to your doctor, um, but sometimes finding people with more of a functional side and, and experience with this can help a lot more. And are you are you working with someone at the moment who who's helping you with um, like uh, reading blood reports and that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, so I work with Jake Dolshaw. He's really awesome, um, such an awesome guy. We work together and he assists with some of my clients. I go, I sort of run things by him to make sure I'm giving clients the right things. Um, I ask him questions. He teaches me, basically mentors me. So I feel really um, like lucky to learn from such an awesome person and that my clients are getting a really good service because they've got kind of like his um opinion in the background as well yeah I know you it's like impossible to give specifics but just say someone is struggling from pretty bad like um premenstrual symptoms you know or or you know her her actual menses like you say she's she's on the couch for um you know the three days or four days or whatever things are really bad like um what are sort of the next steps or the interventions that that might take place in that situation yeah, so there's a few things we do here. First one would be, for me, would be magnesium. So I think magnesium is such an awesome supplement and it's very underrated. And the thing with, I'm not one to blanket supplement people, but magnesium is one that, you know, most people probably aren't getting enough. Be, sorry, excuse me. It's probably hard to get it from food um, and or enough from food, I should say. And when you're stressed or, you know, when you sweat, your body dumps magnesium. So when you sweat, you don't just lose water, you lose salt, electrolytes, you know, things like magnesium and stuff like that all comes through sweat. So we lose magnesium probably quite a lot, but I don't think we get enough natural stores to replenish it. So a magnesium supplement is really beneficial because it aids with PMS symptoms and period pain. It also aids with sleep and stress management, and that's kind of muscle and nerve function. So there's a lot that it helps with, and there's a lot more as well. But talking purely for the period and PMS, um, even cravings. So I really love magnesium for PMS symptoms. If that doesn't work, then I take the next step. Or if that's sort of made things a little bit better, but there's still something wrong, then we would take the next step. And usually it would be to get bloods done. 
And that's the best way that we can see how the body's functioning internally. Um, and then from there, we'd obviously assess bloods, see if there's anything that we can see that's sort of, you know, going wrong. Um, and then we kind of try and, you know, fix the period and the cycle from there. Yeah, awesome. Um, sort of jumping to, I, I do want to talk about PCOS because mm-hmm. um, it does seem like a pretty common thing. And just in my um, coaching experience, I've seen some women who have PCOS and very little um, consequences from it. Um, yeah. Maybe they've been misdiagnosed. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I've seen some others, uh, you know, who are, you know, obviously working with the allied health professional, yeah. but really, really suffer. Um, yeah. Can we just dive into like, what are the common signs of PCOS? Does it get misdiagnosed, all that stuff? Great question. So let's start with what PCOS is. So PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome for those who maybe aren't aware or have possibly heard of it but not quite sure what it is. So the name is very misleading, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Now, the main idea behind PCOS is that you have cysts on the ovaries. Now, this is actually a really bad name because the cysts on the ovaries are follicles, right, that all of us will show on an ultrasound. Now, I'm pretty sure that if there's over a certain amount, yeah, you've got PCOS. But in reality, the problem with this is that if we didn't ovulate that month, there could be more than usual, which could, you know, and and some women will not ovulate for just the odd month. It's quite normal to have an an ovulatory cycle for the odd month as well. Um, And that's the kind of flawed issue with the ultrasounds with PCOS. It's like we're looking at just the polycystic ovaries and nothing else when in reality that's you can have PCOS without having polycystic ovaries so the name is is very misleading um the main signs of PCOS is or I, I should say the main issue with PCOS is lack of ovulation so that's our main issue is that we're we're having irregular cycles and we're we've got a lack of ovulation occurring because we we ideally want to be ovulating most months now the main signs of PCOS are irregular cycles, uh, elevated androgens. Now, this this can look like acne on the jawline, uh, elevated, like not elevated, I should say, like um, like more hair growth than what's usual for a woman. So maybe around the uh, jawline, um, sometimes the nipples, um, you know, chest, just more hair on a woman than what we would normally see um, or that what they would normally be used to. Hair loss even is a good one. Um, And they're usually the main signs. Sometimes some people have struggles with weight loss or they've noticed weight gain. Um, And the main reason for this is because PCOS is commonly driven by insulin resistance. So if we've got someone going to be diagnosed with PCOS and they get an ultrasound and they don't get blood tests and they get told they've got PCOS, this could, this could actually be a misdiagnosis. And then you have this person going around thinking they've got something they don't. And psychologically, this can have a massive impact because they're going, oh, I struggle losing weight because I've got PCOS. Oh, I've got PCOS. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm struggling. And your mind, as we like know, your mindset is huge in, in things like this. So if you're telling yourself you can't do this because you've got PCOS or that you've got PCOS, it's going to really affect that person and they may not even have it. 
a classic one is being diagnosed when you're a teenager. And it's very common for women in their teenage years to be diagnosed with a temporary state of PCOS. And this is because your cycle hasn't quite matured. Your hormones are still balancing out to the correct levels and stuff like this. So you get people diagnosed with PCOS when they're a teenager. And I sometimes have clients that go come to me and they go, oh, I've got PCOS. I'm like, oh, okay, when were you diagnosed? They're like, oh, I think I was like 15 and they're 25. So we can't use that diagnosis because it was 10 years ago. They're a teenager. We, we don't know what's happened in that time. Um, so that's kind of the main problem with PCOS is it's often misdiagnosed because the correct tests aren't done. So you need to have bloods done to be able to diagnose PCOS. We cannot do it with an ultrasound alone. So if you have been diagnosed by, with PCOS by just an ultrasound, um, then you may want to just recheck that as well. Yeah, amazing. What about, so if someone does actually have PCOS, are there any um, both implications and or recommendations when it comes to both training and nutrition? Yeah, definitely. So I think with PCOS, like a lot of people, like I saw something the other day and someone goes, people with PCOS, and it was um, it's from a male, which doesn't make much difference, but, you know, it was a little bit kind of, worrying um and they said oh people with pcos have lower metabolic rates some some of them need 800 calories a day to lose weight and i was like how is this stuff still being spread like it's, tw- it's 2021 like how is stuff like this still going um which isn't true by the way so we with pcos the most like the biggest problem they often have is insulin resistance commonly drives PCOS. So what this does is it causes the ovaries to make more testosterone, which then obviously elevates our male hormones, suppresses ovulation and irregular cycles and all that. So it's kind of like a circle. So our main thing would be reducing or reversing that insulin resistance. Now, a lot of people underestimate how many natural lifestyle factors come into play with this. Exercise, weightlifting, getting sunlight, a proper circadian rhythm, which means, you know, going to bed at the same time, getting sunlight during the day, switching off before bed and waking up and getting adequate sleep. All these things come into play so much that people kind of underestimate stress, eating a like a good diet, you know, maybe too much sugar is probably not a great idea for someone with insulin resistance. Um, make, making sure that a, a majority of our diet is based off of whole foods you know, like meats, vegetables, fresh foods that we prepare ourselves. Um, and I think it's so under underrated. It's kind of like, what can we do to cure or do this? But in reality, it's the basics that most people don't nail. Like managing stress, a lot of people kind of know that they need to do it, but they don't really take the steps to do it. And I know that everyone's got different schedules, but 10 minute meditation in the morning, like 10 minutes, that can change your, that can completely change your day. So I think the basics are very, very underestimated and we can use a few supplements as well. Um, But lifestyle factors are going to be the biggest thing with PCOS. Um, And then the implications with training nutrition, like a lot of people, again, say with training, oh, we need to give them HIIT training because they've got lower basal metabolic rates. And it's like, well, not really. Like that's if, if they're stressed, that's actually just going to drive stress further. So it's actually probably doing the opposite to what we want it to do. So people with PCOS, I usually just like a solid weight training program and some walking. 
to keep them active, low stress on the body, just simple things like this. Um, nutrition, they may be hungrier and they may not be as satisfied as, you know, say someone without PCOS with their meals, but making sure protein's adequate, having foods that they enjoy, because if you're not enjoying your meals, you're obviously going to be thinking about food more. Um, so nailing basics like that, I think, is, is very kind of overlooked with PCOS. Yeah. Yeah, dude, like far out. Everything you've just said too, and I find, you know, I know we're talking about PCOS, but mm. I, the women I coach are typically like burning the candle at both ends, as significantly stressed women. So all of this, you know, it applies the same. And like you said, you know, um, these basics, we can't wrap them up in some sexy package and 21 days to, you know, abs. This is not it. It's, it's really taking the time and effort to play the long game for your health. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I know it can feel like a relief, I guess, to be like, well, I'll just take this one thing. I don't have to change any of my, the rest of my lifestyle factors. And without any effort, I can just hand over $30 a month and get this one pill, the magic pill, that's going to save everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's, it's just, I'm so glad you, you went through all of this and just highlight the, the importance of you know sleep and stress management and whole foods and high protein and just you know a, a moderate lifting regime and some walking fuck me if we all did that yeah <laughs> it's like no you've got to do hit you got it's like what what next fancy amazing thing can we do it's like just you know solid weight training program and some walking it's like simple but people kind of go oh i need to do lots of cardio or my client needs to do hit because they're you know, they've got PCOS. And I see this, I still see this a lot with coaches. They're kind of like, oh, well, my client's got PCOS, so she she needs to have more hit training. And it's kind of like we're just continuously burning them into the into the ground. Um, and supplements are for me an important part of most of my clients' protocols, especially with when it comes to gut and hormone health and stuff like that. But we have to remember you can take all the supplements, like supplements are awesome. I love them, especially the right ones for the right people, but you can't just take the supplements and not do the other things you need to, you you need to do both. It's not one or the other. It's both working in combination with each other. Yeah, man. It's so important. And especially the stress thing, because like you kind of say, potentially someone's labeled with something like PCOS and it's like, well, I have to work harder than every other woman then because I have to think, and then, you know, yeah, we are seeing, I've, you know, I've got, I've had clients, not specifically PCOS, but, um, you know, they've come to me not having periods anymore, periods have disappeared. And it's like, what are you doing? Well, I'm training six days a week. I'm doing over 20,000 steps a day. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, meticulously tracking even, what was someone tracking the other day? Like spinach and stuff. I'm like, fuck me. Like, let's just take everything back, reduce your stress. Even like tracking that meticulously is a stress. Like it's a stress. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, okay, well, what do you do to relax? Well, I go and hike, you know, I go hike up this mountain on the weekend. Like, no, let's take that away. Like, I love you being out in nature. That's fantastic. Could you sit by the beach or something like that instead? Exactly. Like people really... I think, especially when we, like, I won't go into this too much, but just with losing periods, like when we have someone who's lost their period, they 
should not be doing a single amount of HIIT training, regardless if it's five minutes, if it's 10 minutes, nothing at all. I've had people that go, oh, I'm not doing, I'm only doing 10 minutes at the end of one of my sessions. I'm like, it's still 10 minutes too much. It's still too much for your body that's stressed. And if that's the case, why, like, this is why we don't recommend HIIT for people that are already stressed because it's just going to further, further drive that. And it's the same thing. It's like, well, you need to prioritize actually relaxing, you know, do something creative, like hell random, but I've been painting, like doing a paint by numbers. And it's so therapeutic because I struggle with not necessarily not being active anymore. I used to, but now it's more work. I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm, I'm being lazy by just sitting down. Whereas like when I'm painting, it's kind of like you're focusing on that you're not really like, it's kind of like a form of mindfulness almost. And a lot of people think that relaxing is going for a big walk or a big bike ride, which is great. It's awesome to be active. But if you've already been training a lot, prioritizing rest and actual relaxing is going to be a much bigger priority. Mm. I was watching something the other day and they were saying, you know, as soon as we finish training, even being in the gym, and if you can lay down on the floor and close your eyes, like start that relaxation in the gym as soon as you finish working I was like man that's good like yeah so good I was like it's just getting your brain okay like you know I have done the thing I've done the training and right now I'm going to shut the door on that and begin my relaxation I was like I love that that's an awesome idea I I think I'd feel a bit funny like lying there like sleeping in the middle of the gym (laughs) I might have to go home and then be like (laughs) Um, do you talk much about endo in your workshops yeah, we do cover endo. So when it comes to endo, endo is a lot more complicated than PCOS. And that's because of the characteristics of endo. So we talk about endo in the workshops, but for coaches that just need to start with knowing more about the cycle and the basics, I don't talk about it too much because I do personally feel that endo clients need to be with someone who knows a little bit more about the situation and I don't think it's something I can teach someone in a workshop so like I still learn different things about endo now um because it's it's quite a under-researched and complicated uh disease it's you know it's it's estrogen driven so there's a lot of um uh, like when we when it comes to endometriosis there's a massive um like relation to gut problems as well you know bacterial overgrowth is a massive one um and often people will have gut issues along with endo and then estrogen driven so we'd need to kind of look at making sure that we aren't sort of um hindering estrogen detoxification and stuff like that so it does become a little bit more complicated and i just don't think that it's something that people can learn in a day so I do touch on it what it is how to understand the clients but I don't kind of touch on uh, endometriosis protocols and stuff like that yeah dude yeah I I asked very I was very curious I have only had I think like two clients with endo in five years and uh, both of them have been working with specialists it's it's been interesting though for them too because I know that it, it took them a little while to find Oh, specialist. <laughs> I know, bloody hell, honestly, like, I think the biggest, if any, like, when we're talking about going to the GP for menstrual orders, just like a couple of minutes ago, this kind of shows what it's like. 
it takes seven to 12 years to diagnose endometriosis because people can't figure out what's going on. And they get suppressed with the pill or they get told it's normal to have period pain. So if that's the case, you know, it kind of makes you think, well, if they can't even find that or, you know, consider it, because a lot of women are kind of, like we spoke about, put on the pill for their pain and then end up sort of finding out that they've got endometriosis and that the pain they had wasn't actually quite normal. So endometriosis is a tricky one because a lot of people, I find now a lot of people are becoming diagnosed with it. Um, and the other problem with endometriosis is the only way we can legitimately diagnose it is surgery. And that's obviously quite an invasive procedure on the body. Um, and it doesn't help it. That's the problem. Like as much as you can go and get surgery to diagnose endometriosis, it doesn't help anything except for like, yeah, you've got endometriosis, which you probably already knew before. Um, and it's not saying don't get it. It's just kind of like, you're then going to be in recovery for four to six weeks. Could we maybe like, what, what's going to change between the approach we take for your symptoms, whether you've had the surgery or not. If I had a client that hadn't had the surgery and they present with all the symptoms, I'd still look at their bloods. I'd still look at their gut and I'd still take the same protocol. So it's kind of like, are we put like, putting more trauma on the body and putting ourselves in, you know, four to six weeks recovery, can't train, can't do anything for, you know, how, what's the risk and reward kind of thing. I think that's another big issue. And I really hope they come up with something else that is not that invasive because it's pretty mad how you can only get surgery to kind of actually find it. Yeah, dude, it's nuts. It's, it's, yeah, I, 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 the little knowledge I have, I understand it's a very complex topic. <laughs> and from what I have just seen is just, you know, the women feeling like they're, they're not being heard, listened to, potentially don't have that much choice in options. And yeah, it's pretty rough to see. Um, I do want to dive into the pill a little bit. And mm -hmm. from what I understand at the moment, it's like heavily under-researched in terms of the impacts for, you know, athletes, women who train, um, the studies that have been done, not too many of them are actually on athletic women. And mm -hmm. they're kind of shit because from what I understand, you know, there's whole lot there's like different pills all being um lumped together um i yeah. guess what i guess your understanding if we keep it like um you know just say like healthy women who are taking the pill for contraceptive purposes yeah. um, is that your understanding too when it comes to you know performance or physique outcomes that potentially there may be a slight hindrance or yeah where where, where do you stand yeah, so if I've still got clients on the pill, I personally don't like the pill and I don't take it myself, but it doesn't mean that I tell someone else to stop taking it unless I genuinely thought that it was causing harm to their health. And then I'd maybe say, you know, is this something you consider? But the beauty of the world we live in is that we all have a choice to do what we want. And if they choose that that's the best thing for them, then awesome. But I just think that we need to understand the pill more because I do believe there's a lot of women that don't really know what they're taking. And then they get to the age of say 25 and they're like, Oh, they're like, I don't really know my body at all. Maybe I should, you know, actually let my body be natural. Um, so when it comes to, first of all, let's talk about how the pill works. So 
basically when we take the pill, your brain and your ovaries don't have the communication between them to ovulate and have a menstrual cycle. So when you take the pill, you're basically, you know, ceasing your menstrual cycle, you're ceasing ovulation, they don't occur anymore. Yes, you get a pill bleed, but it's basically just the withdrawal of the synthetic hormones. It's not actually a period that is, you know, has ovulation before it. So when it comes to training nutrition, there hasn't been too many studies done, I don't think, on women with the pill. Uh, there is a lady that's really good with that specific side of things, and her name's Stacey Sims. You may have heard of her. Yeah, she's awesome with that side of things. Um, we have seen research done that can show that the pill, because of the, I think it might be the estrogen in one of the pills, can lead to weight gain um, and it's it's quite a common, probably quite a common known symptom of it. We don't know if it's directly weight gain or if it's changes in sort of like, you know, hunger hormones and stuff like that or maybe decreased activity levels and things like that. So there has been research that has shown um, when it comes to training, again, it's hard. Like it's, it's kind of like we're suppressing our natural hormones. You know, a lot of people feel different when this is happening because I've known a few people come off the pill and they're like, oh shit, like I feel like I feel like a different person because the pill does work at the brain level. Um, and that's that's like legit because it switches off that function between the brain and the ovaries. So when it comes to training, I'm not entirely sure on if the pill hinders it. I've still got quite a lot of clients that are on the pill and you know they're they're awesome. But I think it would depend on the person because the pill does affect more people, more uh, affect people, some people more severely than others. And I think that would also come to play in it as well. Um, and I think it would be quite individual. But again, like you said, most of the research done, it's it's very limited. So I don't even think there's like solid evidence yet on any of that. Yeah, from what I understand, there's studies that could show any, like it could show it favours, it, it could mm -hmm. show it, it hinders. Um, and then it's kind of like as a coach, you know, anecdotally, have we seen enough clients or, you know, who have taken a certain pill come off, have has their progress improved or not? You know, I've heard of, I've heard of people who um, have come off and been able to increase totals, you know, within a few months. And it's like, oh, that's yeah. thing. And we apply to everyone. No, because we don't know what pill they're on. They're an individual. Um, and it's I a great point. Yeah, I, I know when I when I came off, so I had two stints of coming off. The first one, I think I was late 20s and I had that, I don't think I want to be on this thing. I don't really know what it's doing, um, mm. but I had an awful time um, when I got my period back. It was terrible. So I quickly went back on and then maybe a year or two later, I was like, there is something wrong here. I, my body is just telling me to stop. So I did. And it was actually seamless AF. And I don't know, maybe a bit older. My lifestyle would have been very wow. different back then. Um, I think, you know what? The first time I came off was actually right after my, um, it's all making sense in my head now, right after my bikini comp and rapid weight gain. So I reckon it was probably oh. a shit storm. Um, so that was the first time. And yeah, the second time was in a much healthier, you know, supportive lifestyle. So it was, it was pretty damn seamless. It's, um, so, it's so common for women to come off the pill and have a terrible time with their period or not have it at all. Um, and like you mentioned the difference there, like coming from post bikini comp and stuff like that, your body does need to be in a good position to get the period back because 
it's a really big thing for the body to do and it requires energy. So I think people underestimate how much sort of nourishment the body needs to be able to ovulate and start maturing the follicles and your ovaries again to be at, to uh, be able to actually ovulate. Um, and a lot of people tend to go, oh my God, this is horrible, I'm going back on the pill. So it's very common to have that as well. But I, I actually wouldn't mind asking you a question. Did you notice uh, a difference in how you felt when you were on the pill and when you were off the pill? This is going to sound woo as fuck, okay? So the only real difference that I felt was creativity levels. And uh, yeah, I, it's so strange. And uh, yeah, I remember just sort of thinking like I am just creatively blocked completely. And then I don't know why in my head it felt like it was that that was the thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I I I had low libido on the pill. I had a, those mm-hmm. sorts of things as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it was you know part of that. <laughs> um, and yeah, coming off that went that mm-hmm. absolutely went. And and I one thing that I did notice, um, I didn't have so many cravings when I was on the pill, but I did notice them start to come in in that week before, uh, manageable, nothing crazy, but yeah, for me, it was creativity, which sounds a bit woo-woo. Um, (laughs) I'm not even, I'm not even surprised. I think there is a study done that shows women on the pill pick different men to what they would if they were off the pill. So I don't know, I've never been on the pill. I don't know if that's even a thing, but apparently there's been studies done on it. Um, And I'm guessing this kind of relates to the brain and, you know, kind of who you are and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm not really surprised at the creativity thing. (laughs) It makes me laugh so much because you can track my relationship downfall. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe maybe you picked the wrong person on the pill. on it but I've seen quite a lot of things pop up saying that women do pick men that are more similar to them on the pill or something and then when they come off they're kind of like yeah do I like you I've heard that too like that polarity isn't quite there how interesting yeah Yeah. I might have to try and find it and I'll send it to you Lastly, I wanted to talk to you. I know you said that in the workshops, you also talk about like client communication and those kinds of things. And I kind of wanted to dive into, you know, as a coach, um, how are you communicating the importance of tracking a cycle? Um, What does that actually look like practically? If you can talk to that. Yeah, for sure. So, this is this was quite a big um, one of my main inspirations for putting this in the workshop was more for the men because I think men struggle to talk to not because they feel awkward but I think they just worry if they can ask females about their periods and stuff and if if they're too sensitive about it so this was one of my biggest inspirations for putting it in the workshop but one thing that I do personally is when a client comes on board. I have in the health form and I straight away ask them about the periods because for me, it's important to know if there's anything going on, if they're okay, or if they're on the pill or whatever, it's like, yeah, I'm on the pill. Okay, cool. At least I'm aware of that. So I do ask, are you on contraception? Um, How are your periods? If they're not, because if they're irregular and they're horrible, then it's like, okay, we need to look into this. 
Um, so I do ask about that. And then in check-ins, um, I always ask clients whether I'm their cycle and how they're feeling in relation to that. So I do think that, again, this relates back to knowing and understanding your client's cycles, whether you're male or female, but being able to educate them and communicate with them about their cycle and just making it normal as well, like just normalizing it. It's like a normal thing to talk about. Um, and obviously like, you know, if your clients had a bad week and we can line up with the cycle, it's like, okay, we've noticed that there's a trend here every kind of week before the period, this person falls off track. So it's kind of like, I think it's really beneficial for, um, noticing trends, helping them understand their cycle and how they're feeling. Um, and just general, like matching it with their progress, training, nutrition and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's so empowering too for a client because like you said at the start, um, really, I don't think most women know too much about it. And especially when I sort of start saying in check-ins, like, you know, we're, we're probably going to expect the waist measurement to come up this week or, you know, the scale weight's probably going to increase this week. It's cool in a, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever, 10 days, we're going to see that um, the water retention dissipate and everything come back down. So just sort of be prepared for what's going to happen. And they're like, I had no idea, you know, I had no idea that this is this is normal and that it's not that I'm not doing everything right because I am. It's just, you know, water retention changing and those kinds of things. A hundred percent. Like so many women um, expect their weight loss to be a linear line and we have a completely different hormonal pattern to men, literally completely different. And with hormonal fluctuations, we will experience changes in mood and you know performance but also obviously our scale weight as well and that will have an effect and I think being a woman it's so important to understand that your scale weight will change quite often a lot more often than maybe your partner or your brother or whoever um and there's so many women that kind of like if you don't track your cycle and you're like oh my god my scale weight's up a kilo this week and you don't track your cycle you could be wondering what's going on Whereas if you're like, oh, okay, my period's due in two days, oh, my weight's up one kilo. Oh, it's not a coincidence. It's, you know, it's normal. So I think understanding your cycle for that reason as well and understanding scale fluctuations is another big one um, that you mentioned as well. Yeah, and, and for them just to be able to see, oh, you know, every week one, this is what happens. Every week two, this is what happens. And, you know, maybe, you know, a month here and a month there, things are not exactly the same as the week before. But over time, you can generally see trends like, oh, typically I actually retain a lot of water, um, you know, a few days before my period or whatever. Typically I gain two kilos. Like, okay, great. And it just takes that pressure, pressure and the stress away, I think. A hundred percent. And then they're not expecting to constantly lose weight. It's like, okay, if the scales are up this week, we don't have to freak out about it, you know? Yeah. I see it. Um, I'm, I don't tend to have like crazy weight fluctuations, but my photos, you can so see my week four body, like the water retention is nuts. And then, you know, a week later and you can see it dissipate. It always gets me. It's, it's just amazing to see. And I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, because I think a lot of people forget that as, as well as the weight, your measurements and your photos may fluctuate as well. So if your photos are due on your period, you can still take them. But, and it could be, like you said, interesting to see the difference, but you can also take them again a week later and, you know, compare them more so to the other ones. But people kind of think that, I think people forget how much our bodies will fluctuate. It's like, you know, some days you will feel more like you're holding more water 
Um, and it's not just the scale, but it's maybe measurements and photos as well. So I think expecting these things to happen will take the stress out of it and kind of be like, oh my God, why have I increased weight when I've been doing everything right? I'm also, I'm thinking of this one particular client who um, the week before her time of the month, she always gets super down on her physique and is like, I'm not making any progress or whatever. And then the next week I'll get, you know, videos from the gym and she'll be like, oh my God, like look how jacked and lean I look. And it's like, dude, this happens every month. It's okay. Yeah, 100%. I Sometimes I'm the same. I'm like, oh my God, I feel like a blob today. And then... <laughs> You know, when estrogen starts rising again, your period's finished, you're like, oh, look how lean I am. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. <laughs> yeah, right. It's so important to know when um, I think it's, you know, if you're listening to this and you're not tracking your cycle yet, definitely take this to your sign to start tracking your cycle. A hundred percent. And it's, it's interesting. It's, it's so great for understanding your own body. Like, it, it really is. And it's, it's really not that difficult. You can download an app, maybe Flow or Kindara or something like that. And just track the first day of your period to when it finishes and when your next period arrives. And you can just start with that. And it gives you so much insight into, you know, literally your whole month. Yeah, I love it. Uh, thank you so much for this podcast. So I super enjoyed it. And I think it's going to be really, really informative for hopefully both my audience and your audience as well. Um, so where can people find you? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Instagram at Sophie May Fitness, M-A-Y. I always get asked how to spell that. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty much just mainly on Instagram. Yep. Do you have any workshops in the upcoming or are you pausing at the moment? Yes, I've got – I haven't set a date, but I do have one coming up in October. Um, and I've also got a, a podcast launching as well uh, this hopefully this month. So we'll have to have another catch-up and you, you can come on mine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's so awesome. Well, thank you uh, very much and we will end it here. Thank you so much for having me.